0: What is the situation of health and well-being in Europe? In this episode, Tobias Silberzahn from McKinsey and I are talking about biohacking 101, habits that make a difference, digital health ecosystems, and much, much more.
1: The factor behind the success of of Asian digital health ecosystems, the three key success factors are convenience, convenience, and convenience to make it the citizens as easy as possible to look after their health and well-being. You know, two-thirds of the improvement opportunity really lies in the areas of health promotion, prevention, health literacy, and healthier environment, that this would contribute $2.4 trillion to Europeans' GDP by 2040. Part of the ecosystem could be symptom checker or medication management app that helps me manage my disease. And when I feel bad or when when something feels wrong, right, I can sort of engage with a very low barrier of For me, one part, right, that people know more what drives their health and well-being, right? I didn't know that it was the pasta. In It's about small micro habits that you can integrate into your
0: daily life. Tobias Silverzahn is a trained biochemist and immunologist and works as a partner in McKinsey's Berlin office, where he is a member of the healthcare and innovation practice. The focus areas of his work are healthcare innovation, health tech business building, and digital transformation. Tobias leads the Global Health Tech Network, a community of over 1,500 health tech CEOs and founders, where he hosts the quarterly health tech CEO Roundtable. As part of his work, Tobias also hosts the MedTech R&D Industry Roundtable and publishes the eHealth Monitor Germany, an annual book about the digitization of the German health system. Within McKinsey, Tobias leads the health and well-being program for employees focused on sleep, nutrition, stress management, and fitness. The program was recently awarded the Brandon Hall HCM Excellence Award in Gold. McKinsey is a global management consulting firm committed to helping organizations accelerate sustainable and inclusive growth. McKinsey works with clients across the private, public, and social sector to solve complex problems and create positive change for all their stakeholders. It combines bold strategies and transformative technologies to help organizations innovate more sustainably, achieve lasting gains in performance, and build workforces that will thrive for this generation and the next. In this episode, we were talking about the European Healthcare System, Biohacking 101, the health tech startup ecosystem. Small habits lead to big changes, and the four pillars of health and well-being. I hope you enjoy the show the same way as I did. Tobias, it's good to see you. How is life these days in Germany?
1: Good morning, Chris. wonderful to see you again. And um, yeah, you know, life in Germany—it's—it's uh, it's all sorts of topics going on, as you can imagine. The bigger—the um, bigger picture in in Europe with. Um, with the the war the the, the inflation um uh, but also you know health and, and and digitization of health is a topic right? covid is still a topic and 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 how do we want to live with this now as a society so uh, yeah a lots going on <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true. We are living in interesting times currently. I had a conversation recently with uh, a friend from the United States. His name is Jonathan Sporn. He's the CEO of Gilgamesh Pharmaceuticals. And uh, he's doing a lot of research uh, in mental health and research and development. He has, I think, um, I hope I get his age right. I think it's five decades of experience in developing or four decades, um, uh, solutions for that. And he brought up, uh, a point that I found very interesting that he said he saw in the last few years. So uh, the last three years, five years, six years, seven years, a surge in mental health issues. Um, one of the investors he sold one of his previous companies to is Christian Angermeyer and, uh, Christian Angermeyer posted recently, uh, an article on LinkedIn, or let's say a letter on LinkedIn, where he made the bold statement that 100% of the human population has mental health issues. And uh, in this conversation, we tackled a lot uh, about the situation in the United States, but not in Europe. And mm-hmm. I'm very happy that you find some time today uh, to come on this podcast and uh, talk with me and the audience about the situation of health and well-being in Europe
1: very happy to thanks for having me
0: let let me ask you the first question what is the situation of uh, health and well-being in europe in your eyes currently
1: maybe maybe i'll start with the mental health uh, topic and and that statement that that you quoted um, I, i'll now um respond from the angle of uh, of being a, a sort of a bit of a biohacker myself and and also leading our health and well-being program uh, within our German part of the company, right? And um, and when we we look at um, at mental health um, um, from a workplace perspective, right? We actually we actually see that um, that uh, there are sort of three different types of um, of groups. Um, one group is the the group that is is often um, that is often very much in in, in focus. Um, that is the people that have really severe and, and acute needs that uh, may, may require an intense services and treatment, right? That, that is sort of one to two people usually um, in, a, in a 100 people in an, an organization. And, um, and then there is a second group that, um, that is about a quarter um, when we look into, into healthcare data. Um, they require something that we could describe mental wellness support and and moderate needs towards you know counseling psychotherapy um, um, etc. Right, and then there is a third group, and that's about then the remaining 75 uh, ish uh, employees. But right? they benefit from what uh, I would now describe as support that fosters their. Mental well-being, right? So they are medically, you know, if they go to a doctor, right, they would not be diagnosed as having a, a condition, right? Uh, but they still uh, would benefit from from better uh, um, a mental mental health and well-being, right? And um, and then when we when we now, you know, being originally biochemists looking at sort of the foundation, right, it makes sense because. Because at the end of the day in our daily lives, right, there are, there are, there are four or five things that are really impacting health and well-being and, uh, and the person. And, and that is sleep, that is nutrition, that is mobility and, and fitness. That is stress management um, and, and you know, for many people also then the, t- the topic of purpose, um, uh, underlying motivation, um, social connections, of course, plays a, a big role, right? And um, and if we just quickly look at uh, the, the this impact that sleep has on mental health and then the impact that movement has on mental health, right? So if if we do a little thought experiment and, and would say, I sleep uh, too little, and I walk too little, right? Both of those things just biochemically have a negative impact on my mental health and well-being. So therefore, right, uh, mental health and, and mental well-being, right, um, and and those factors that we just talked about is is actually something for
0: for everyone. That's a great point. I would like to dig a little bit deeper and use your expertise as a biochemist. Um, it was in the nineties when I started getting interested in. Uh, what does it need to stay healthy? So Mm -hmm. back in the 90s, every time when I talked with uh, my doctor or with other doctors or physicians in Europe... They mostly focused on uh, treating diseases, and most of the questions I had were around how can I stay healthy, how mm. uh, what do I have to do to not get sick at all? And I didn't get answers. Uh, where I got answers was in martial arts, but unfortunately, um the, the the ways of the martial arts are great, they work, and there are many great masters. For example, in the Shaolin Temple, in 2014, I was in the Shaolin Temple, uh, or also in Japan, but it's not very scientifically or tested not been very scientifically proven. Um, The points they brought up back in the 90s were similar to the points that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that in order to stay healthy, people need uh, to sleep, need to exercise. Uh, needs to take care of their nutrition and also social connection and purpose. Can we talk a little bit further about these four topics? Why they are so important from uh, the McKinsey and the biochemist point of view? Let's start with sleep. Why does sleep play such a crucial role in staying healthy?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, thank you for the the question. It's a it's it's a wonderful topic, and and it's um it's fascinating research uh, behind it from a biochemical, and then also sort of how then the biochemistry of our body then um, affects our our feeling and mental health and well being, right? Um, so if, if we start with sleep, then uh, there is sort of two topics, right? There is the topic of duration, and then there is the topic of um, do I get the the deep sleep, um, etc., right? Why does deep sleep matter? Um, during deep sleep, which is usually the sleep that happens in the first half of the night, um, right? Uh, we, we sleep in 90-minute cycles. And uh, then in the, the early 90-minute cycles, then um, ideally deep sleep uh, takes place, right? This is really where the body restores and where growth hormone is secreted, right? And the key thing is, if there is no deep sleep, then there is um, the, the, the secretion of growth hormone, which is then helping us regenerate, um, is uh, is diminished or, or, or let's see. Uh, um, reduced um which then means right that that sometimes sleep doctors they deal with people who then say well i, I sleep nine hours yeah. but i still feel terrible in the morning i still feel tired in the morning right and then when they 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 do the the, the diagnosis etc then sometimes they find that yes this person slept nine hours but there were only five minutes of deep sleep and if there's five minutes of deep sleep right it one, well, you know, the literature usually uh, talks more about ideally, you know, 90 minutes of deep sleep, right? Then you can imagine, right, um, um, if there is only five minutes of deep sleep versus 90 minutes of deep sleep, uh, that that is then, of course, the reason why people then uh, feel tired in the morning, right? And if that continues over many, many days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years, right, that then has very detrimental effects uh, for the body, Right. but since you started out with mental health right this has then um also a link towards the mental health and and well-being right and um and uh, i think uh, one of the uh, politicians once said that after they had negotiated in in Europe in Brussels uh, through the whole night right they said well if if I'm massively sleep deprived right i'm I'm not a very inspirational person anymore. The next day, right? But it, it it pretty much means if we if we sort of are severely sleep deprived or have these sometimes even medical problems that we don't get enough deep sleep, that then means that um, <clears throat> you know at the end of the day we are increasing our level of anxiety via bad sleep, right?
0: That's very interesting. In uh, I think it was this this week that I read an article um about anxiety. And this article stated that uh, 90% of our fears don't come true. So when I listen to you, it now comes together in mind, like when people don't get enough sleep, they create themse- for themselves a state of anxiety. And if they continue on this path, it might also lead towards depression. And then their thought process are going in a direction where they definitely don't make uh, sound decisions for themselves. And I just imagine, I mean, when they are community leaders or leaders in a company, or uh, politicians, as you mentioned, uh, it might also negatively impact uh the entire society. Is this a statement uh that uh you would say is correct, or did I miss something in the explanations?
1: Well, I you know, I, I would I would say of course then. <clears throat> there are those those interconnections right and the fascinating thing is that um, um from a biochemical perspective right there are then also connections from um uh from from mobility and movement right so um you know and i had that in my my life working at a desk and at the coach, right? if you do you know and, and again there is then a, a body of scientific evidence right but some of our coaches that um that we work with in, in our health and well being program, right? He would say if people walk less than, I think the number he uses is 5,000 steps, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he can quote a few scientific publications behind that. Um, if they walk less than 5,000 steps, then again, it is a similar loop than the sleep loop that you just described, right? We then, since we are made to move as a, as, a, as an animal, as a, as a being, right, then lack of movement and lack of mobility, and right, and if you do only, I don't know, 2,000 or 3,000 steps a day because you sit in front of the computer or the TV or God knows what, um, right, that, that is then also something that increases your um, anxiety level if that goes on uh, for a while, right? So, if we then have a classical, um, um, modern office worker, right, who might say, oh, you know, um, um, sleep is sort of a a lower priority and I I sit on the sofa or at the desk the whole day and walking, right, then they increase anxiety by two means and then anxiety is going up, right, and then if anxiety is going up, that then often has then um connections you know both to the immune system and uh, to how people then eat right and then sometimes they gain weight and then they move even less so so we we can quickly get into um you know what scientists then describe as vicious cycles right where then we are moving on several fronts sleep nutrition mobility let's say in the wrong direction from a health and well-being perspective which then uh, raises anxiety which then sort of fuels the cycle even more
0: Uh, 5,000 steps are roughly a 5K. So it's a 5K every day, basically, that uh, your source recommends to to stay healthy when I assume that uh, one step is one meter.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby.
1: I like to think about it in a, in a different way. Also, it, you know, as part of a health and well-being program. Right. Uh, you know, since many of us spend uh, in the business world, right, spend a lot of time each day in video conferences. <laughs> but uh, when when, for example, I personally then try to do one video conference in the morning, half an hour, and ideally one video conference uh, in the afternoon um, and another half hour um, on the on the phone. right? It, while walking right and mm-hmm. and and i right because when you say 5k that sounds like oh my god 5k that the sports and, and now i need to put on my trainers but walking for 30 minutes um during a video conference where maybe you don't need to take notes etc um you have about 4000 4500
0: steps that's a great idea. That's a so great it's, idea. Uh,
1: it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty simple. And I have people when, when we do catch up calls, we already both know that we should take that catch up call uh, to do that. Uh, so then we both go for a walk while we uh, chat with each other. And even in, in team calls and group calls, And what we have have done is then to say, okay, who takes notes this time, right? And all the other people can then walk. um, And then one person says, and then we rotate it. Anyway, but that's now becoming very practical.
0: No, but that's actually a great idea. Also, uh, there are some uh, literature out there that... uh, I think philosophers said that uh only thoughts that are created during walking uh, are of importance and you can forget all other thoughts while sitting. Uh-huh. So uh, having a walk basically is a great solution. You mentioned uh, a third pillar. So we had uh, exercise that's important that people stay healthy and healthy means in a way that they come to the office in a positive mood, optimistic mood that they engage with people and uh they have the mental capacity to drive things forward in the company, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're already in a, uh, in, a in a deep state of depression or already uh, severely ill. Uh, you mentioned the third pillar, nutrition. Why is nutrition so important? I mean, I live uh, in Vienna and uh, <laughs> I think our national meal is uh, Schnitzel with uh, french fries. So uh, what's your opinion on nutrition?
1: Yeah, and, and well, nutrition is a, is, a, is a wonderful and fascinating topic, right? Because it's both related to health and well-being, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and with well-being, I mean that, you know, ideally it tastes well and it's a great experience and we do social bonding over, right? So nutrition is completely multifaceted, right? Um, um, and the other fascinating part is, if we quickly go back to the biochemical side, is that nutrition is also very um individual right there are fascinating studies where nutrition researchers gave 100 people the same to eat and then they measured the blood glucose response and uh, the, and they found very different responses t- from different people to exactly the same um food right um so in, in that's and for me as being a bit of a biohacker as mentioned right for me it was fascinating to try out different things right and the coach that i have been working with she encouraged me to say Tobias. Why don't you, why don't you, two hours after you've eaten something, why don't you sort of quickly think, do I have now more energy than uh, before? Do I have the same energy and it didn't change? Or do I have less energy and maybe I feel tired, right? And then I came to that um, uh, conclusion, which, um, you know, from a scientific perspective, it's not very surprising um so i feel a little bit embarrassed that i didn't um, realize it earlier yeah. um that um you know when i i love schnitzel as well uh, christian mm-hmm. um so when i have my wiener schnitzel with um with french fries or with pasta or uh, or kartoffelsalat uh, potato salad etc then i feel really tired in the afternoon so then i did the experiment of okay i still eat my wiener schnitzel but i eat it this time with um with salad or with some vegetables and I leave out the carbohydrates. Right. And, and again, so, you know, everyone is a little bit different in terms of nutrition, right. For me that had the effect that my afternoon tiredness was gone. Right. Really? And so I still, I still eat what I like to eat. Right. But uh, now my personal, one of my personal micro habits is that um, sort of from Monday to Friday, then I, I try to be a bit good with my nutrition and I, I would, um, I would focus on on salads and vegetables as side dishes. I still eat my salmon or my chicken or, you know, whatever uh, as the main, right? Uh, but I would try to reduce uh, or, or get rid of uh, um, rice, right? And, and for some of the people who are then more into it, right, that is then doing a bit more of what uh, what some people say, a ketogenic diet, right? Where you try to reduce sugar and carbohydrates, Um, um um, to um you know and and for me that then has just the personal benefit of um um of uh, being less tired during the week and then Saturday and sunday are my cheat days uh where then um um i eat uh, lots of chocolate and ice cream and all sorts of other things with my kids and my wife
0: yeah i was um in the charlene temple in 2014 and uh the abbot there said, uh, it's really easy to live a clean life when you're in a monastery. So working out, meditation and uh, vegetarian lifestyle. But he said, uh, it's really tough uh, when you're out there in the world. Um, I mean, just look at Vienna. Um, you mentioned the vicious cycle before. So mm-hmm. getting up in the morning, uh, going to a Starbucks, for example, having a, a cafe latte and with a delicious cake. And then, uh, during lunchtime, schnitzel with french fries or with some rice and, uh, to overcome the afternoon tiredness, uh, a can of coffee again. So <laughs> to just, just push that, uh, is nutrition really, does it have so, uh, heavy impact on, on health, not only mental health, but health general? I mean, I read, um, an article, uh, recently on the internet where I, um, Say didn't believe it entirely. Uh, a writer who promotes uh, also a keto diet, uh, vegan lifestyles, the vegan lifestyle, and he mentioned that uh, patients with stage four cancer, when they stick to a routine where they got enough sleep, enough exercise, and nutrition, showed signs of remission with that. Uh, does it really have such an such a heavy impact on how we feel and uh, over decades uh, how illnesses evolve? So nutrition, sleep, and exercise.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account?
1: Well, I think that there's lots to unpack now, Christian. Right? Maybe if we start with the cancer patients, since I've, you know, I feel very, very um, close to to this kind of topic. But there is um, there is a body of scientific evidence, uh, for example, that shows that. Um, that uh, cancer patients who have uh, anxiety, depression, right, and of course it's a very natural thing, right, uh, that given the fear and um, uh, of dying, etc., right, that that one gets into that um, anxiety, depressed state during cancer, right. Uh, there is a, a, a body of scientific evidence saying that cancer patients who are able to keep a more, let's say, positive state of mind. Versus the people that um, go into sort of anxiety and depression during cancer, they have the, the people with a more positive state of mind have better patient outcomes at the end, right? So, um, in terms of the cancer, right? So does that mean now that um, that? Um, so it, I think that is a nice example, and that is also a very proven example um, of um, how our mental well-being, right? Then. Um, has also uh, implications on on diseases, et cetera. Right? Um, you know, the other part is an and um, <clears throat> and and of course with cancer to to finish that topic. Right? There is then a genomic component. There is a behavioral component. There is then a, you know what type of medicines, etc. Uh, do you get? There is the mental health component. Right? So so this is something well you know I'm, let let me put it like that i'm always a bit get a bit suspicious in such a multifactorial world if someone says oh you you just need to do this one thing and then you cure your cancer right in mm-hmm. in many instances um, from a biochemical and medical perspective right um, there are several factors that uh, that come together right and um, and um, and mental health and sleep and nutrition and um, and and whether one moves or not, right? These behavioral things, they they have been that they, they have an, an impact not only on your well-being, but also on your health. right? And uh, if we maybe took for a second example, in addition to the cancer example, switch to chronic diseases, um, right, many of the chronic diseases come from our metabolism, um, you know, be diabetes, hypertension, etc. right? Um, but if, if I don't sleep well, if I don't walk, if I eat too much food and gain lots of weight and if I'm not in a positive mental state, right, that is sort of something where we, right, we, we see the diabetes type 2 um, numbers rising in this world, right, where then uh, people are sort of getting into chronic diseases, into that vicious cycle, which then you know the overweight and and then the the overload of carbohydrates and sugar, right? Then uh, uh, diabetes type two likelihood um, increases, right? And on the other type, right? Then um, the the impact of uh, of having good micro habits there is uh, is then also shown, right? So um, so I think that's uh, that's an important point, right? And the the final thing I'll say is that um, you know in in that respect, why I also find digital health a promising thing right as mm-hmm. digital tools have right we've seen with uh, social media and and apps and and mobile phones right that digital tools can help change human behavior uh, quite a bit um right and i would say not always to the to the the better uh, quite a lot uh also to the worst, right? When you spend lots of time in front of screens and you look at uh, other people that are much more beautiful than you yourself, right? And then you get into negative body image, negative mental state, etc. cetera. Right? But um, what I'm excited about is using digital tools to help people towards positive sustainable behavior change, right? And that is, um, since you mentioned prevention earlier, uh, Christian, right, uh, in a world where our health systems are often designed to deal with acute sickness, right? so I'm very well treated uh, if I'm run over by a car, right, and, um, and uh, then they, uh, or if I break my arm, right, uh, then I'm sort of back to normal, right? But uh, that point around, as you said, with uh, the martial arts and, um, and medicine, at the point of getting towards positive behavior change is then a different topic. And uh, there often our health system are less good, right? Because you spend maybe 10 minutes with a doctor per quarter or if you are a patient or, uh, um, or uh, 10 minutes per year, right? And there, of course, then the, the micro habits are harder to do, right? Because the change is hard, right? Um, and therefore, it, it is uh, that's why I'm, I'm positively excited about digital tools nudging us sort of towards better micro habits more on a daily basis instead of speaking with a doctor once a year for 10 minutes.
0: It's good that you mentioned that. It reminded me of a conversation I had 20 years ago when I came from a seminar and uh, also proudly presented that you can do a lot, that people can do a lot uh, to stay healthy themselves with micro habits and uh, eating the right nutrition. But 20 years ago, the response was uh Let's say mediocre to not very positive, and it's good to hear from you now that uh, the understanding in our society evolved uh, tremendously in the last twenty years uh, towards these microhabits. I think our our healthcare system is great when it comes to treating illnesses and uh, sicknesses, and it's really um, evolved. After fifty, I think it's uh, it's one point in time people have a high chance to get sick, but at didn't really know before I started with martial arts that people can do so many things. You mentioned uh, so many things themselves uh, in a daily life to stay healthy longer. You mentioned uh, digital solutions that can help people. Can we dig a little bit uh, deeper into that topic? Uh, which digital solutions do you have in mind that are helpful to create micro habits?
1: Yeah, and. Uh, uh, what? A wonderful question. Maybe just to what you said earlier, right? I would just make a, a distinction between acute illnesses and chronic illnesses, right? Mm. I would say our health systems are good at dealing with acute um, illnesses, right? Uh, having an infection or, or having a broken bone, but right? uh, they are generally less good in dealing with chronic uh, diseases, right? Like diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, um, etc. Um, and then the the question becomes, how can we, how can we actually um, Better deal with chronic diseases, and um, and that's where often uh, cognitive behavioral therapy comes in. Which then, since uh, it's it's a, a cognitive behavioral therapy and has to do sort of with your practices, right? It's it's ideally done more often than less often, right? And then we 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 move into now a a um, situation where then digital tools could do three things for if we assume that i'm a chronic uh, disease patient but right, digital tools can do do three things right say so they, they make it more convenient for me uh, to manage my chronic disease you know online appointment booking uh, teleconsultations uh, right so that uh, that I, I, I just have a, an easier access, a more convenient access to, to manage my um, disease. Then there is a second part around, um, around uh, um, sustainable behavior change. Right, Most chronic diseases benefit from sustainable behavior change of the patient. In terms of better nutrition, better sleep, better stress management, and and, and better uh, um, mobility, let's say right. So then the question is, how do we get there? Right. So my my doctor my doctor um, he he looked at my my values. Um, um, I think it was two years ago, right. And then one one value was higher in my um, in my blood diagnostic, and then he just um, he just smiled at me and said. Um, next year you will need to eat a few cookies less <laughs> okay did that you know was it funny yes did it help me with sustainable behavior change no mm-hmm. right because um, you know i usually go to the doctor um, a little bit before christmas Right. So then he tells me that I should eat less cookies. Well, then Christmas comes and guess what? Uh, that's when I eat the most cookies in the whole year. And then sort of New Year starts. And then that is already four weeks back. Right. And and in my day to day life, it just doesn't help me that much. Uh, if someone has told me sort of what I should do instead of how to do it and how to integrate it into my life. Right. And that is sort of one uh, wonderful point that um, um uh, helped me coach told me, right? You have all of those things that you know, right? And you and and you have all of those things that you that you could do and then life gets in the way, right? Um, um
0: I couldn't agree so, more.
1: <laughs> and, and then sort of the question is, how can we actually use digital health to to sustainable behavior change, right? And that is the nudging, uh, personalization, gamification, having stuff on the phone being prompted. Um, and then also... Having tools and, and cognitive behavioral therapy is shown to do that and, and can be delivered by digital tools, right, to get into a more positive uh, frame of mind, um, um, et cetera. Right. And the third part, why um, I am quite positive and, and excited that digital tools have the potential to, to help chronic disease patients is um, they can also make it more fun to um, improve health and well being, right? Because if I'm a chronic disease patient, and, uh, that's hard enough, right? But do I constantly want to remind it uh, that I'm a... right? So in that sense, there is that fun component that we see with social media and, and various apps, right? Where people actually willingly spend time uh, watching videos and um, and posting stuff and reading what other people have posted, right? So in that sense, um, make it... Right? So health, uh, that is sort of one of the things I'm... Um, uh, I would love to sort of contribute to over the next decades, right? Making health and well-being less of a sort of dry and uh, hard and, uh, oh, I should uh, topic, but more of a fun topic.
0: Let's stay a little bit with this digital health and uh, what you would lo- like to do in the future. And uh, maybe I can add one story from my life. Um, when, when I think about solutions in the healthcare system, um the first thing that pops up in my mind, uh, is drug development and, uh, it's complicated, uh, development processes that take years or decades. Just imagine BioNTech, for example, when they started with their mRNA technology, I think the company started somewhere in 2008, but the scientific roots go back to the sixties. Um, when we talk about lifestyle change and chronic diseases, um, what helped me in the last years were, were simple apps, um, In 2010, I wanted to run a marathon and was looking for a solution to measure my distance. And what I found Mm -hmm. was RunKeeper in the United States. And I think a year later, Runtastic started in Austria. And it was really helpful to measure distance. I mean, the technology was not as advanced as it is now today, but it worked basically. And one day I forgot to uncheck that my progress is shared on Facebook. and. Then a couple of weeks later, I found out that every run that I did went directly to Facebook. And the response was quite interesting. Uh, Instead of... being offended or uh, getting a lot of uh, hate mails or something, people were really motivating. They admired me, that I get up every day, that I do my runs, uh, the distance I covered, and they sent positive messages. And this helped me to train for my first marathon in my life and uh, move forward with that. And I think this is the positive side of digital digital solutions. Now I have these two worlds in my mind. So these uh, easy, small solutions that I would not really consider uh therapeutics or therapeutical solutions. And then from my professional life, I know these uh, scientific sound solutions like mRNA technology that really help people but cost a lot of money. Uh, the digital health solutions that uh, you have in mind are they more on the side of uh, the hardcore pharma industry with a lot with long development cycles, or would you also consider these these, these small lifestyle apps that don't really look like much is going on? Are they also helpful in your opinion?
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back. The coaching Conversation Two Thousand Twenty Four. This podcast is one hundred percent dedicated But what so what what we've what we've seen over the last few years is that those individual apps and um, and software pieces right that they have been merging into into broader digital health um sort of multi-service offerings um you know that we could call digital health ecosystems right where at the end of the day we are now then, moving towards a situation where we have several service offerings that help me along my customer journey or yeah. patient journey or citizen journey um, to, to better health and well-being and, and, and make it as convenient as possible. Um, so, for, ex- for example, that could start if, if we can if we take an example um, of me being, let's say, a chronic disease patient, right? Um, so the first part of the ecosystem could be a sort of symptom checker or medication management app that helps me manage my disease, and when I feel bad or when when something feels wrong, right, I can sort of engage with a very low barrier of, mm-hmm. of threat, right? and then that gives gives me the first indication of um, what might be going on. Then I could move on to an online appointment booking uh, a piece in the same digital health ecosystem to then schedule a virtual consultation with maybe Dr. Christian on um, <laughs> on um, a, a video call, right? And I'm still in my home and it's still mm-hmm. just 10 minutes after I had the problem, right? And then I'm speaking with the doctor and then maybe we find out that, um, that there is something, let's say, more, more serious, et cetera. And then we can move towards disease management programs that have been developed for chronic disease patients where I would then maybe as a, as a chronic disease patient go through a structured guided program uh, towards better um, habits and, and moving and, and, and dealing with my disease better. And often this is then accompanied with medication as well, right? So that ultimately medication and digital tools come together in an integrated a treatment uh, a path, but right? um, and and other parts are a patient remote monitoring, which is a um, a whole body of scientific evidence around it. Where then a Dr. Christian uh, automatically gets my values of uh, blood uh, glucose, for example, or or. Um, um, blood pressure etc once a day or once a week or three times a day etc and like that right we have a much closer bond than me showing up at your doorstep um, of the doctor's office uh, once uh, once a month or once a quarter right because then you see my curves and how things are developing and if you see that my let's say my weight curve is sort of steadily increasing week by week, or if you see that my blood pressure is steadily increasing, or if you see that my blood glucose level are going in the wrong direction, right, then you can coach me, right, and, um, and, uh, the, and, and, and we can just intervene um, earlier, right, and um, with chronic disease patients get people uh, more back onto the right track earlier rather than later. Right, then if I can share one um, example, even with an acute disease like COVID-19, right, there's been a, a, a fascinating um, a project with the University Clinic of Heidelberg um, mm-hmm. during COVID. Um, they asked uh, patients who tested positive, would you like to be part of a patient remote monitoring program, which means that you will get a, a blood oximeter right, to measure the oxygen saturation at the fingertip, um, and, um, and, uh, and submit your body temperature and, um, and, and how difficult you find it breathing several times a day. Right. And then the, the, the idea was that they pretty much offer patients like that, that a doctor can pretty much watch over their shoulder and sort of follow them as they now isolate at home. And, you know, most of them at the time went to COVID for the first time. Right. And the question then becomes, will it be mild or will I have complications? So the idea was then with that a remote monitoring program that the patient submits um, measurements three times a day, and then the doctor would, within two or three hours, be able to spot that now complications have started. Right, but first of all, the question is: Will there be complications? And then usually complications with COVID, right? When we when we look at the curves, usually start on day 7 or on day 8 or on day 9 10 11 or 12 right and um, and they they recently published the results so spotting complications within 2 or 3 hours in for patients in that program and then intervening early with often you know medication or sometimes hospitalization reduced the mortality of that Cohort of patients by a factor of threefold to fourfold compared to the other municipalities around Heidelberg. Who That's not- amazing, right? And that is for me one of the most powerful examples how pretty simple digital tools can actually have an impact, right? Because with acute uh, diseases like COVID. It it allows you to intervene much earlier than having the patient sit at home and wondering whether they have complications and often coming two, three, four days too late to the hospital by themselves, right? And even with chronic diseases, right, um, you, you sort of get them coached earlier and sort of put back at, at, on a more positive track than on the track that you might be on.
0: Do you like this episode? Then please, please subscribe to the channel to get a notification whenever I publish a new one. That amazing points. I mean, acute diseases, I also think about uh, the single households uh, where pro- people often have the problem that when heart it- uh, patients who are at risk for heart attack, for example, or for a stroke, when they are singles, uh, nobody, nobody watches them. But with modern technology, when I understand you're right, you can also monitor them. And uh, if there is a serious mm-hmm. uh, episode, we have the potential, theoretically, uh, to fix that in future. Then the second part you mentioned is uh, chronic diseases where digital solutions act more like uh, coaching, in term coaching, helping people to stay on track with lifestyle changes. Um, what about the healthy population? I mean, sometimes I'm now close to 50, I'm 48 and I wish. So my biggest regrets is I wish I have known what I know now 30 years ago. So especially when it comes to lifestyle, when it comes to nutrition and have a coach who say, don't eat the cake, <laughs> don't go to the party. And if you go to the party, don't stay until 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, would it make sense to also consider such digital solutions uh, to use to bring more health care information to people to educate them earlier in life?
1: Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Right, um, you know, being here in Germany in Berlin, right, I've got the feeling that every German um, knows more about how their car works than how their body works. Right, uh, which is a, a fascinating um, um, uh, situation. Um, but joking aside, um, you know, in the in the last WHO country comparative study, right, a, a country like Germany in terms of health competency. Um, was right at the bottom, right? So um, so I think it was like 58% of the people in the survey had low health competency, right? Which then means that they might take choices that seem um, maybe logical or maybe to do, but then they have a, a certain medium-term to, to long-term effect, right? So I think there, again, my conviction is that we make, we need to make it fun Right, because if we print brochures that sit somewhere in libraries, and um, you know, and they tell you what are the 37 things that you shouldn't do, right? <laughs> 36 out of those 37 things are fun to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's pretty foreseeable, right? And we've had that over the last decades, right? That um, that uh, it it, not, it doesn't have sort of a big impact, right? So I think there is a, a big part about health competencies and and digital health competencies that um that actually can be fun and and actually can help people feel better um and and be better right but it doesn't have to be that you you now suddenly live a little bit like a monk and don't do anything yeah. um that is sort of your your normal daily routine right so the the you know that would be for um for me, one part, right, that people know more what drives their health and well-being, right? I didn't know that it was the pasta in at lunchtime for many years, despite mm. it, you know, maybe I should have known as a biochemist, but, you know, and then I just leave out the pasta at lunch. So then I – and then there, it's a very simple uh, decision that is a personal decision. Does pasta at lunch bring me more joy? Or does being less tired in the afternoon makes me happier? Right? And then I can take the informed decision that for me personally, right, I'm happy to get rid of the pasta at lunch and I prefer to be alert and, and, and full of energy and not tired for three hours in the afternoon. Right? But there might be people who love pasta who say, I love pasta. And I, right, I think for me, the important point is that People know what the implications are, right? And often there are certain behavioral patterns um, where then there are detrimental con- consequences, um, and the implications are are not clear, right? I think the other part, um, just quickly, is that um, that um, you know, in in our health and well-being program, right? First of all, we 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 think about what is sort of the purpose and the the aspiration and the motivation, right? This is not about senseless self-optimization just because we can, right? Uh, Why do I want to do that, right? Uh, You you mentioned that you are 48 and you still still look much younger, right? But you have a certain purpose uh, and motivation behind it. that you you like to maybe increase your health and you like to maybe increase your your well-being, right? So I think there is one component around what is my underlying purpose or, or motivation and what do I really, what what is really important for me. Right. And I think then based on that, right, then there is a bit what you said, the health competency can then help. And then ultimately you can uh, get to a few micro habits that move you then in the right direction. And that's our experience having done that program for many years. It's about small micro habits that you can integrate into your daily life instead of the the radical uh, changes. And then it's also about not beating yourself up that you need to now do this 100% of the time, all the time, perfect, right? But uh, it's more like a, a sort of 80 percent mindset if i do my micro habit 80 percent of the time that's totally fine and Mm -hmm. i don't and and especially i don't need to get stressed about it for the 20 percent where i don't do it so saturday and sunday can be cheat days where you do all of the things that you crave and might not be that right but if you are really good from monday to friday why not and so at the end of the day it's a personal decision what is important to people
0: yeah, I completely agree to what you say. I think it's necessary also for social and men- mental health. Uh, just imagine—I mean, when you go to a pastry shop with your friends and you start then lecturing them about the healthy lifestyle and why this is bad for them, <laughs> so having a cake is a good thing sometimes. Um, <laughs> when I think back, one of the questions I had to one of my martial arts trainers was uh, like, "It's like it's karate. It was a sensei. What can I do to stay healthy?" Mm-hmm. And his response was very surprising to me. So I expected, uh, a long lecture and a list of 100,000 things that I need to do. And the only things he said was drink water, green tea, sleep more and eat your vegetables. That's it. So I said, okay, is it really that simple? And I used the opportunity in 2008 between two jobs to take uh, a few weeks off and really try this lifestyle and, uh, wake up early in the morning, meditate, go for walks, um eat only vegetables, water, and green tea, uh, and read motivating books for a couple of weeks. And the difference was really huge. And I wasn't aware until the point in time I did these weeks of uh reducing my life to what's necessary and leaving out everything else. It wasn't until that moment that I realized what a difference it is. Um, the question I have to you now is: I mean, taking a few weeks off. I think uh, people have children, have families, have jobs, have the responsibilities. It's almost next to impossible for uh, the entire society. Um, how would you tackle the problem of uh, bringing health education to people on a systemic level? What's 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 the solutions? McKinsey is working on in that area. What's your recommendation?
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, what? <clears throat> what what we do and what what we what we are um building out uh, is to do this on on several levels right and to to integrate that also into the daily lives of uh, of colleagues and and people right but of course of all first of all this is sort of um voluntary right uh, this is for people who actually want to um to improve something right and, uh, and interestingly right there are then different um Different groups of people, right? That I've been dealing with. There are some people um, who are in the segment of saying, "Oh, you know, maybe I've um, I've uh, gained weight, and and I have the feeling that I now should do something to improve my my health, right? That is sort of that health-driven segment, you could sort of people. And then there is a, a segment of people who <clears throat> who um, you know, there's sort of many of the biohackers, right? They would then say, "Oh, you know, if I optimize sleep, nutrition, fitness, stress management, then I'm more productive," and uh, etc. Right? That is, of course, a, a, a typical segment that we we see everywhere um, in in sort of the health and well-being um, community. <clears throat> then there is the segment of people saying, "Well, actually, I'm I'm medically healthy, and and I'm I feel I'm productive enough, but but I just want to feel better." I'm I'm personally in that segment, right? And then there is a segment of people who say, "Oh, you know, I've done, I've tried this and I've tried that and I've tried this diet and, and and nothing has worked and and I've and you know I I find this really hard, right? And so there is already a, 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 right this and this is the simplified version, right? So it needs to be. Getting it, it needs to take people where they are from based on that motivation or that need or that desire or aspiration that they have instead of doing one size fits all stuff. Right? The, the second um, experience that, that we've made uh, with our programs is that, um, that it, it needs to be integrated into the daily life of people. It needs to be impactful and needs to be fun. Um, And if you don't integrate it well in the daily lives of people, and if it's not fun, and if, and of course, impact needs to be there, um, otherwise people wouldn't do it, right, then, so there is then a very question sort of how do you design it to achieve those objectives, right, because if you give me a 200-page book and say everything is in there, now you just need to read it and you do it, right, not a lot will usually happen, right, Um, um, and so, so, there we design the programs, and we, we we work with coaches that then do this in bite-sized manners, that some as video, some as reading, some as nudges, et cetera. So there we offer those programs, several-month programs for people um, that uh, they then can work. Um, and this is then hybrid programs, right, with a coach plus uh, digital tools that uh, work very well. We also have some programs that are digital only. Um, and then the third part uh, is uh, that we found is important is to do it also on a team level, right? Um, so that it's not just like Christian going through his six month program, right? But uh, you might be working in a team with three or four other people, right? And then this is then less about health and well being. This is then the framing is often then more around way of working, way of collaboration, right? And then. Right. and if we if we then just you know play through uh, hypothetically, right? If we if we are now in a team and we will be working together over the next twelve mm-hmm. weeks on a project, right? Sort of, um, what would we like? Do we want to work like um, um, like crazy and uh, are twelve weeks of sleep deprived? Right? Or do we might want to integrate our fitness routines into now the 12 uh, weeks so that I, that sort of, if I know that you like to go running on a Tuesday evening, then maybe I cover on Tuesday evening so that you can do your run. And maybe I like to do swimming on a Thursday morning and then maybe you cover on Thursday morning so that I can go swimming. But, so then we, we elevate this from individual norms and, and, and uh, agreements to actually team agreements right and some of those agreements right some teams then have a lot of energy around you know having better nutrition together because they all like to eat and they 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 really, really like like that right and some people are like okay i i would like to optimize sleep um, and and therefore we get to a few agreements how we help each other on that right and then we get to also the situation that you described uh, with your social media profile, right? That then actually people help each other achieve that and spur each other on, right? So in that sense, that is another uh, um, experience that we've made that it's sort of both, ideally it's the individual level and the team level.
0: I completely agree. I mean, it's, uh, it's extremely helpful for me when I post a picture from Iran for my documentation and then friends, uh, encourage me to do more of it and, uh, congratulate for the effort. It's really motivating. So it's, uh, it's great to, to hear that, uh, also your company integrates that into the daily life. Uh, also managing expectations i think it's very important that people can speak openly about their uh, wishes and desires and uh, that the colleagues also support them that to some extent they are integrated in in the work life this is really great development
1: yeah thank you and and you know people people just generally like it right um, and, uh, and 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 also you know if we if we think about it from um, you know from a uh, also from a work perspective, right, if you sleep well and if you uh, are able to integrate your fitness um, into into your your work life, right, you are just more a, a more creative a more inspirational and more happy person. Right. Um, so if we take my own journey, right, I started sort of with this whole biohacking stuff about, uh, you know, eight years ago. Right. I've I've uh, I've lost more than than 10 kilos. Right. I. I. I now do more 12,000 steps a day than 4,000 steps a day. Um, I, I now sleep um, on average more than, than seven hours, right? And I'm about uh, three times as happy as I was 10 years ago, right? And a lot of that is then, you know, it, it's then fun when you are on that journey <clears throat> and um, and then it, you get into a, a positive cycle, right? Because, um, um, when you when you feel it and you and you feel more positive, then uh, it's easier to continue on the path.
0: Let me ask you one question to what you just said. Um, I mean, it was two or three where I had this attitude: that I want to focus on training because I realized that it makes me happier. And I also thought that when I'm happier, uh, I come to the office with a positive attitude, with a positive mood, and make more compliments. And that also. Has then an impact on the people in the office. Uh, mm-hmm. leaving the office, however, at 6 PM in the evening, when all colleagues were working until 8 PM in the evening and then, uh, uh, went to the next pub for a drink and then went home about 11 PM and came back 7 AM in the morning, um, was a little bit tense. So we had a discussion and I also made the statement and say, look, uh, when I do more exercise, I, my mood is better. I'm happier and I'm more productive. And then came those finance guys who said, well, can you measure it? <laughs> how can you measure that? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can measure the time that you spend in the office, uh, but not how happiness impacts uh, the productivity in a company. Um, are you aware of any measurement tools for CEOs when they want to implement such measures that they also can then demonstrate to the owners or to the employees the difference it makes?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So there, there are there are various uh, tools and and also that can be used on on company levels and then designing health and well being programs on on company level that are then you know fact based and you know depending on how much fact based or metrics also or that a company wants right then uh, you you can do that um, you can do that on the one hand with 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 surveys and um, and also then. Um, with some of the metrics that you you want to measure, right? But, um, you know, if we, and, and again, many companies like to do that, um, but if we just go back to the basics um, and look at the scientific, um, that scientific literature, just picking again the sleep example, and there is a whole body of evidence uh, where they show they have a cohort one sleeps, I think, seven hours or eight hours. Cohort two sleeps six hours. Cohort three sleeps five hours for several days, and they get cognitive tests to do. But This has been shown um, years and years ago that uh, the cohort that sleeps five hours a night will, depending on what study you read, their productivity the next day is 60% or 70% of the productivity of the cohort that sleeps 7 or 8 hours right that's a huge so, difference so yes of course you can now develop and design dashboards and and and, and think about how you now measure that ex- exactly christian is now also having that effect right um, um but uh, but on the other hand right it's um there are just a few fundamentals, right? Because you are a human being that has a human biochemistry and therefore, but right, do I now need to know whether your productivity was 64% or 66% after you slept only five hours um, in your case? But So in that sense, I, you know, I'm not saying anything against that, right? I think, I think that the important bit here is that, um, and, and that's also an important framing how we frame our health and well-being program, right? That it helps people be at your best, and uh, and and yes, it it if done well, it of course has massive positive benefits on a company level as well in terms of you know how creative people are, the problem-solving capacity, the productivity, etc. Right? But um, but this is actually this is actually something where we're um, framing it more from a you know helping people be at their best kind of perspective instead of oh we have now, I don't know 17 levers to increase productivity by seven percent kind of thing right uh, that that is sort of often not the the um, the, the smartest way to design it.
0: A great words. So I completely agree to what you say um when people uh, exercise regularly, get enough sleep, uh it makes a huge difference. Uh for example, focus, uh just picking the right point uh, to work on uh that drives the company forward. I mean it comes much easier with enough sleep and the right nutrition and enough exercise or meditation also.
1: Now, um, and 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 sorry Christmas just one other thought, right? We we also looked into that extensively on country level. Right. So so for example if we take Europe as an example, right? Um, before the pandemic the cost for the European society and economy, right? the cost of uh, a poor health um, was about, um, um, was about 2.7 $2. Um, trillion um, dollars per year, right? So mm-hmm. about 15% of GDP in Europe was the cost of poor health and, and mm-hmm. lost economic opportunity. So that's equivalent to about $5,000 per person um, if we break that down, right? So then the question is sort of what are the drivers of these poor health costs, right? And then musculoskeletal disorders, so that would mean lower back pain, neck pain. They account for 24% of the total economic loss from poor health um Overall. And then the mental health disorders with which we started our uh, conversation, such as depression, anxiety, they account for 18%. And neurological disorders such as migraine, headache, etc., they account for 13%. Right? And, and now we come back to so the what, what what we can do. If if we would apply in a more consistent way the different health and, and medical tools that are in at our disposal in our societies. Right, in, a, in a more consistent way, we could reduce that health burden without any innovation that is in the pipelines of companies. We could reduce the health burden by about 30% in Europe over the next um, um, two decades, just with a more timely and consistent application of the interventions that are available today. And what does that mean since you mentioned uh, your age? That would mean from a society perspective, that um, an average 65 year old person in europe in in the year 2040 would be as healthy as a 55 year old uh, today right? and if you do the full health economic calculation it would also mean 11 million more people would be alive in europe by the uh, year 2014 and right? and then and this is now if i if we talk briefly from a health system and and, and country perspective the the, the the most positive message is that that uh, you know two thirds of the improvement opportunity really lies in the areas of health promotion, prevention, health literacy, and healthier environments. Right, and then the question is: um, So, what would be the benefit and the impact and and the business case if we did that as a European society or, or sort of a European set of countries? Right, and and if we would go in that direction, that would mean that this would contribute $2.4 trillion to European's GDP by 2040. So that would be a, a sort of a 10% boost above uh, projections. Or you could also say if, you know, in GDP is more the annual, but it could be 1.5 percentage points of annual growth for Europe. So that's a big deal, right? Because that, that, Pretty much is the size of the demographic issues that we have, right? So this would be almost to a positive magnitude to counter the negative impact of the demographic problems that we have ongoing in Europe, right? And then the other part is then often, right? Often we have the mindset in in European countries, oh, our health system they are very expensive, right? And we in, in Germany we spend more than three hundred billion euros a year on our healthcare system. And, and in many European countries, and uh, I guess in, 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 in many countries across the world, right, then there is a notion we need to, to um, keep our healthcare spending under control, right? That is sort of a mindset that has been there for decades, mm. right, which means that we treat healthcare and health as a well-being as a cost bucket that needs to be controlled and managed down. And and what I find fascinating and why I'm fascinated working in health and well-being is that actually what if if we would treat health and well-being as a positive investment case on our country level or on our company level, right? And on the country level, we've done the research, our our economics unit has done the research, um, depending on what country you are in and what your starting position is across the world you get either uh, $2 back for each dollar that you invest strategically in health and well-being on a country level or up to $4, right? So on average, I think it's 2.7 or so if we look at it across countries, right? So you get $2.7 back for every $1 that a country would strategically invest in health and well-being on a sort of health promotion prevention type topic. And I think that is a a very promising and a very positive message um, um, to sort of move uh, in that direction, in my opinion.
0: That are uh, excellent points. Thank you. Thank you for making them at the podcast. Uh, I always liked the data. And uh, also I completely agree with what you say. Uh, seeing health as an investment is, is a great shift in mindset. Um, I also think that, uh, for example, when we look at, uh, viral diseases, I think, uh, when the population is healthier, the risk of getting a, uh, severe disease, a severe outcome is less than, uh, when people have, uh, less health, uh, on a, on a population level. Uh, are this, uh, is this a study that you cited that is, that it's publicly available? If yes, it would be great if we could add it to, uh, to the podcast, to the description, uh, with yeah. a link, uh, to the study. Um, One question popped up while you were speaking. Uh, You mentioned some players on the market already. So we have politics, politicians who direct tax money into the system and uh, make sure that it's used uh, properly for society. Then we have the large corporations. We were talking about pharma. Uh, then we have uh, the new startup ecosystem that uh, gained popularity in my eyes since 2014-15 uh, in Europe, mm-hmm. and then we have the individuals and the families. Uh, what are the roles of these different players when we just make a mind game and say, let's assume we go together on this journey and want to change the European society in the direction you proposed a couple of minutes ago? What roles do you see for the different players in this in this system?
1: Yeah, yeah, a fascinating question and and um, and and also complex question, right? Because it's a, we are living in a multifactorial um, world, right? And health and well-being is is impacted by many um, many different things, right? So if we maybe for for a moment zoom into digital health, right? Um, that we don't have the full health system, right? So digital health is is pretty much a set of twenty five different categories or, or offerings right and and about 10 of them usually are, are citizen facing right online appointment booking teleconsultation diagnostics at home uh, online um, delivery of medications um, and um, and and so on um and um, and then a bit more than 10 are not citizen facing right that sort of clinical decision support systems for for doctors and nurses and workflow automation, um, etc. And then on on a country level, there are two foundational elements. Uh, there is the electronic patient record that is then being used or not used in that country, uh, as well as the the e prescription, right. And often when we look at um, at countries' health system, often these two foundational elements, the e prescription and the electronic patient record, they are often um, sometimes even run by public sector um, um, agencies, uh, we could say, or at least there is a a very clear set of uh, of regulations and and, um, standards around it, right? Because um, of course, in a a platform economy and digital economy, right? If everyone has a different app, right? Um, it's uh, slightly less powerful than if everyone has um, the, the same app or the same app on, on the same standards, right? And of course, that is important when you do e prescriptions um, and electronic patient records, right? That um, that right? if if you go to the doctor and I go to the doctor, that our electronic patient records are following the same logic in the country and that it's ideally linked with our health insurances, et cetera. Right? so there is a role, there is a role that uh, then um, the, the public sector um, plays and, and uh, um, in that regulation, right. But if we take the U.S. as an example, um, right, which is a, 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 a also a very um, multidimensional example because they have very high healthcare costs, right. But they are also doing an interesting, um, uh, an interesting initiative by uh, moving towards value-based healthcare. Mm-hmm. Right, and they they try to manage it in a sort of, you know, we could almost say a two-track two-track process, right? They've got sort of their classical fee-for-service uh, health system, and then they are shifting towards value-based care contracts, right? And every year, over the past few years already, and it's projected to grow by uh, more than ten percent over the coming five years. Every year, they have a slightly higher, or slightly ten percent more uh, patients under value-based care contracts. And these value-based care contracts mean that uh, it's sort of capitated models, right? Where then the person <clears throat> leading that program, right, they get a capitated payment, and then they manage that program. And the idea and the and the and the, the hope is that this is better suited to manage people with chronic uh, conditions right, because then there is one actor who then designs the overarching program and that is then usually a hybrid program, partly digital, partly in person, etc. And that is, I I think, um, uh, you know, a nice way to to also affect change, right, uh, from a conceptual level, right, because if we now say we have a health system that is the way it is, right, and has evolved over 100 years, Right. And um, it, it's very hard to shift that from one year to another from, you know, fee for service healthcare to maybe value based healthcare. Right. And I think it's pretty accepted globally that value based care um, is, um, is something that has promise. Right. And then the question is uh, how to do that change. Right. So, so that is sort of a bit like the framing. Right. Do we, if we take Europe as an example or, or European countries, right, do we actually want to go to that change? And then, do we find mechanisms, right, to, to actually gradually shift in that uh, direction, right? It's a little bit like the the energy and sustainability, right? We try to phase out certain um, energies and we try to increase certain energies, and you have sort of the general framework that sort of provides incentives and and uh, and, and budgets. Uh, to, to have a few things increase and, and a few other things uh, that uh, we maybe think will serve us less well for the future to decrease. And um, and then the other part is right, the, the broader digital health ecosystem. What are those offerings and how are those multi-service offerings being integrated? And, and there, when we've studied digital health ecosystems across the world, right, and in Asia, they are scaled to a much higher degree, right, that... The, the the factor behind the success of of asian digital health ecosystems right we look at some ecosystems they are having more than 400 million citizens in it um the three key success factors are convenience convenience and convenience right to make it the citizens as easy as possible to look after their health and well-being
0: yeah, Asia. always when I travel to Asia, I mean, they, they were, it looked like they're living in the future. So it's from the European standpoint. Um, Korea, South Korea, I mean, uh, automated temperature measurement when you go into elevators. elevator. So the elevator doesn't uh, open and tells you, you are sick, please go home. So it's, it would be also very convenient, in my opinion, here in, here in Europe to have such a level of support or... Um In 2017, I think it was also in South Korea, uh, we traveled to a hospital that was fully automated. Uh, it was really interesting to see that uh, the patient came into the hospital just in time. The entire logistics was organized automatically. There was no waiting time for the patient. A cab picked him up, brought him to the hospital. The doctor was waiting. The team was prepared. Uh, he went through the procedure and then could go home. Was the upside. The downside was, of course, I mean, he got uh barcodes so that they can track uh, like a logistics chain. There's a lot of possibility. One thing that I find particularly difficult, especially for startups that want uh to help in that space, is to connect to the right people. You also mentioned that uh the system has its specialities, it's different in each country. Um, I know that you run a lot of initiatives in that area and um, are one of the super connectors on LinkedIn and uh, in the European mm-hmm. society. Can you can we talk a little bit about your initiatives that uh, you brought to life to move the healthcare system forward and how people can connect to you? Uh,
1: yes, very, very happy to, uh, Christian. Right. I, I think, <clears throat> you know, ultimately... Ultimately, I've dedicated the second half of my career um, to health and well-being and to improving health and well-being in the world. Right. And, um, and when, when I, I spoke with innovators and health tech CEOs and founders a few years ago, right. And, um, then they said that they would find it helpful to have uh, an informal community on CEO founder level um, to sort of exchange what life really is like, right? Because often, often we have pitch events uh, with the innovators, right, and they are very competitive, and there are prizes, and um, and and every innovator tries to pitch uh, how, that they are the best, right? Um, and um, and so so we started what we call the health tech network. Um, as a a very different, informal, friendly health tech CEO community. And uh, and to be honest, we didn't really think about it um, that much. We set it up as a global network right from the beginning. But then it turns out that those two factors um, have resonated with the health tech CEOs and founders, a friendly CEO community and a global network because the Europeans are interested in U.S. and Asia and vice versa. So that that health tech network grew to a bit more than 1,500 health tech CEOs uh, globally, across 25 regional chapters from Canada to Australia, um, and um, and then when when there was there were several hundred health tech CEOs and founders in that community, then lots of other leaders that are working in the health tech space also got interested in that, and, and with that I mean. Um, leaders of pharma companies of med tech companies of hospitals of health insurances of some public sector agencies investors etc right and now there's actually a second sort of community we could say that, <clears throat> that that we call the friends of the health tech network right so in total this is now two communities 1500 uh, health tech CEOs and 500 friends of the network that all that all um you know Like that community on the one hand, right? And I would say one reason why they like that community is that many have the aspiration of improving health and well-being in the world, right? And they increasingly um, see that it, you know, that it it maybe is not only um, um, that it's not only helpful, but it's also fun to do it in a bit of a community instead of everyone trying to do uh, to do things on their own.
0: That's that's great news. What's the best way to get in touch with these communities?
1: Well, I think the easiest would be to <clears throat> uh, to to connect via LinkedIn. Um, um, there is more information on my on my profile, um, in, including sign up link. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, I, I'm very passionate about this topic, and um, so um, you know, uh, very happy if people connect with me and and uh, on LinkedIn, or Twitter, and then we 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 take it from there.
0: <laughs> the 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 problem that I have with complex topics is that I'm curious. So we could go on with this conversation for for another five hours, I guess. And you mentioned already a couple of times that these topics are very complex. So it opens the space for me to ask a lot of questions. Um, Is there anything at the end of the episode, in the end of the recording, is there anything that you would like uh, to say in this episode that I didn't ask in the last one and a half hours? Is there anything that I missed that you think is important to mention?
1: Well, I think I I've, I think that there is if if we look at the big picture, right. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we have we have health systems today, right? Uh, that, uh, that 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 um, that. And and the question is, how do we want to have healthcare and how do we want to improve health and well being in twenty thirty and and, and twenty forty, right? So I think we have here a massive opportunity. Where we have our traditional medical interventions, medications, medical devices, right? We now have about 25 digital health solutions at our disposal. We have the whole prevention topics, right? That we talked at length about sleep, nutrition, fitness, stress management. And, and the, we didn't talk about that at all. Um, we have genomics and precision medicine as well, right? What's where wrong? Then if i have cancer right then we could see what is the mutation and then we look at can i actually have medication that is personalized to my mutation right instead of saying oh tobias has i don't know prostate cancer and we just do the standard prostate cancer treatment that we've done with ten thousand other people and we hope the best right so in essence we we have now the opportunity to rethink how we want to do health and well-being Bringing those four puzzle pieces together, right—the classical interventions, the 25 digital categories, the preventative type stuff which um, we talked about, and, and precision medicine—and and, and i am very hopeful that um, that this actually in in is then has then a dual effect, right? It increases health and well-being of us as citizens. But it it makes our health systems future-proof and, and, and maybe even fun. Um, and it even has positive economic benefit.
0: No, I completely agree to what you say. How, what role, one one question I would like to ask, you mentioned precision medicine. What role uh, does it play, in your opinion? Why is it so important? Uh, there's this term on the internet, genomics revolution, for example. Uh, what's the novelty of, uh, of, of this area?
1: well it, it allows personalized medicine right so that we, we don't have one size fits all medicine right so if we if we for example take it, uh, germany as an example we have 500000 new <coughs> new uh, cancer diagnoses per year and we have about 35000 patients uh, sorry uh, parents who will have a baby with an unclear unknown potentially rare disease situation and and um, and um and of course then the, the people with cancer right that triggers the whole anxiety and all of that and and um and there uh, genomics can then help to understand what, what is that cancer in detail and what is the most promising way of treatment, right? Do we have medication that goes against that uh, geno- that uh, mutation that the patient has or is radiology or something else, uh, the most promising path forward, right? And then, of course, with uh, the parents, with babies with potentially rare diseases, but right? day-to-day in a non-genomic world, right, and there are studies about it, on average, this diagnostic journey takes seven years, right? And it triggers an enormous amount of pain, anxiety, and suffering for those patients and and parents and families to go through that. And then maybe finding out five years, six years, seven years, eight years, right? On average seven years uh, after birth, what's wrong with the child, right? So I think even if we take those two citizen segments, right, there is a case and then, you know, Denmark went in that direction with their national genome center. Right? They 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 designed the national genome center to provide these precision medicine services to the Danish citizens at scale on national level. Right? Having especially those two customer segments in my citizen segments in mind that I just mentioned.
0: Yeah, I agree to everything you say. I think the the human human. Society can achieve so much when people work together. And as you mentioned, there are so many great developments that started a few years ago and now come to fruition. We just need to pick it up and move it forward together and can create, uh, I think, uh, a great society in future in, in 10, 20, 30 years. Tobias, thank you very much for, for this amazing conversation. I really enjoyed getting so much new information from you that i wasn't aware before um it would be really great to stay in touch and um, if you want to share future studies future information on the podcast feel free to reach out
1: wonderful thank you for the invitation thanks for having me christian
0: have a great weekend bye thank you bye bye do you like this episode then please please subscribe to the channel to get a notification whenever i publish a new one have a great week